We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Hide in Plain Sight on March 21st, 1980. It was written by Spencer Eastman, based on a novel by Leslie Waller, directed by James Kahn, produced by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, and released by United Artists. I only included the produced by Metro Goldwyn Mayer because I think this is our first MGM movie. That's the first time I remember hearing the lion roar so far since we've been doing the podcast. That seems right. Uh, but it's also based on a true story. Right. Not just a book. About yeah. a, a, a different named character. Which is odd that I thought that that character would feature more. What do you mean? Generally, like uh, a legal drama or a material based on a legal drama focuses on the lawyer. Like, oh, okay. the, like Aaron Brockovich. Like, instead of the client. In, instead of the client. Okay. Uh, and, and this, or you at least get 50-50. Um, this is like like 90-10. Yeah. <laughs> as far yeah. As, as I think there's only one scene where the lawyer is away from the client. And it's just him shouting at his speaker box on his Yeah. <laughs> well, from the, from the, so I read a couple of articles about. The actual the, story? Yeah, the actual story back in the day. Like articles that came out contemporaneously yeah um and it was not like it was in the movie no it's it sounds just like an absolutely dreadful story like the reality of it is far worse than what was in the movie yeah and the problem when i was trying to find information about the the actual case was that the all of the information i could find was too contemporaneous like none of it was from after 1980 so i couldn't figure out what happened right in the case. Yeah, as far as I can tell, um, so the, the lawyer picked up the case. Uh, you know, this guy went to look for his kids. And, I mean, I guess we're spoiling a little bit of the movie here. But right. uh, he went to look for his kids. The kids weren't there. Um, and so eventually, he, you know, files a missing persons report, which is all similar to the movie. Mm-hmm. And then the lawyer picks up the case. Um, it seems like, I mean... I don't want to say he wasn't a good lawyer, but it didn't seem like he, he seemed like a public defender type right. lawyer. It because I don't think that the Tom character here had a lot of money to use. Correct. Yes. And it ended up, and I think the guy took it because he thought it was going to be uh, like a famous type of case because right. the, the, you know, he was basically taking on the, the government. And right. So he was willing, willing to do this, but it took a very, 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 very long time to sort this all out. Yeah, I mean, the course, eight years. Yeah, it took, well, I think, yeah, over eight years. Yeah. Uh, you know, he ended up not seeing his kids for 11 years. Yeah. Um, and I think the movie takes place over the course of a year. Yeah, or, or less year even. Or a half, yeah. maybe, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it definitely seemed far worse than it, than it is in the movie. He also ended up, he did, as in the movie, get custody of the kids at some right. point. Uh, but the kids were grown. 
Like yeah, they didn't by the know time he met he them again, they were like, uh, we're going to stay with our mom here in Reno. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't even want to come live with him. He just let them continue living with their mother. And yeah. I mean, it's just tragic. And the article that I read was like, and they have visited him occasionally. And it's like, oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, a, oh, you get full time, full custody. It's more like, a, oh, yeah, they acknowledge your existence. Yeah. The real world. There was no real happy ending for this yeah. one. So let's talk about this one movie. <laughs> yeah. The the book that uh, that was adapted into this film was written by the same woman that uh, wrote Dog Day Afternoon that was adapted into that film. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, that's where, because James Caan obviously played uh, the brother of uh, Fredo and, and uh, Al Pacino in the Godfather movies. And so the two of them had success with that story. And this became a passion project for him. Um and apparently during the production he pushed pretty hard uh to not have a score on the film because he thought that it would Hmm. feel more serious if there was no music underneath it but i guess mgm prevailed uh and the film had to go forward with a score but we start with i think our first mgm logo in 1980 well i I wanted to bring up one other point before we go in sure yeah um and it's just a stupid me point um (laughs) because aren't they all Richard? yeah they all are <laughs> so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna i'm going to just take a moment here to to show the poster yes <laughs> i thought <laughs> i thought the poster was of him holding a bullet like he was trying to like track down evidence because i didn't know anything about this movie oh. and i thought it was a because i didn't okay I, I, I get the scene now so yeah. so to movie. describe this to the listeners who put on the, put are on the website yeah, yeah check our instagram but it's just He's, james Kahn with a big fist up in the air right but his fist is is wrapped in a way that his thumb looks like a bullet coming out of it but like 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 he's holding it and examining it that's what i thought was happening <laughs> and but that's was, not that's not what uh, when it when the moment happens for the fist i was like well this is much less interesting than my theory <laughs> <laughs> he's just holding a thumb but who is he threatening the department of justice yeah, in the that department picture of justice. <laughs> he's fighting justice literally the poster has him in front of his child like another picture of his children so right. it's like i'll get you kids <laughs> <laughs> i punched everyone to get to you i'll punch those kids if i have to punch every kid that's not no don't do that um but yeah, we start the film uh, leaving a tire factory at the end of the day. Or are they getting to work or leaving work? They're, I think they're leaving work. Because in the first shot, it looks like everyone's walking away from their cars toward the factory, but then immediately they're getting in a car to leave. So I guess yeah. they were leaving. And, and I thought that they were dock workers. Oh, okay. Because it seems like they're like out on a port or pier or something like well, that. Well, th- it's funny because this factory reminds me almost exactly of the building that they used in... Uh, What's the movie with Mark Wahlberg where he tries out for the Eagles that's based on a true story? Oh, I, um, I have no idea. I forget what it's called. But um, the the story of the movie is that like this guy like worked at some factory, but he was really good at football. And they actually had like an open trial oh, for the team. This does, that does sound familiar. And he makes the team. And it's a true story about a guy that made it onto the Eagles. But uh, at the beginning of the movie, they're, they're all walking into a factory. And it, it's like this shot from the same angle, like from up above. And so it just reminded me immediately of that. Invincible. Invincible. There you go. It reminds me of the set for Norma Ray. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, there sure, you go. Yeah. But uh, this is a tire factory. So... Uh, as they're leaving, Thomas Hacklin is being invited by a coworker on a double date because he's recently divorced. 
and uh, Hack complains that his ex is seeing a guy named Scalise, and uh, that the two of them basically just drag him in to watch the kids whenever they feel like going anywhere. Like, he's just a free babysitter for them. Right, but he is happy to do it. Right, I yeah, mean, he, and he, he makes that point, too. But uh, that is also happening tonight, which is uh, why he's dropping his friend off and not sticking around to hang out. When he pulls up to the house, we're in, we're in the apartment a little bit before Tom gets there, and she's saying to Jack Scalise, don't call him names in front of the kids. Can you be nice to him when he gets here? Mm-hmm. And the first thing he says when he walks in, he's like, hey, rubber man, how's it going? How many tires you make today? I have to pay the rent here. How many is that, one? Because he's just shitting on the apartment that his his girlfriend lives in. But uh, Hack is like trying to be friendly and playing with his kids and um, the two of them are heading out the door and he's trying to ask them like when you're going to be back, like what do I need to do? And they just like slam the door. They're just gone. Before uh, that night as he's tucking his son in, he tells him that he's going to bring him to a baseball game in a couple weeks as a surprise that his his sister's too young still, but that he's going to bring his son to a baseball game pretty soon. We uh, cut from here to the party that that Ruth and Jack Scalise have headed off to, which is, it's like a mob party. They're celebrating some guy that did time for the family, basically. Yeah, it, It's weird, though, because he thinks it's, like, to celebrate, like, he makes fun of the, the party. He's like, all this for six months or something like that? Like, and it's like, it's not the amount of time that he did. It's the fact that he was doing it for the family. Mm. And he's, like, trying to throw his weight around the room and, like, oh, I'm a friend of Bobby's. Like, Bobby invited me personally. And everyone's just like, I don't like you. I yeah. don't Like, Bobby has a lot of people that nobody here likes. Uh, and he even tries to, like, he even approaches the Don. He's, like, got the, the gall to approach the Don. Yeah, and, and just introduce him to his girlfriend. Yeah. But uh, but a couple of the other guys here just let him know to his face that they don't care who he is and that there's they have lots of people like him that are just there to be, like, extra bodies in the room if they need to throw people at a problem. There's a lot of traditional Italian music being played here. And some of it sounds very specifically like the music playing at the wedding reception that kicks off the first Godfather movie. Mm. Um, but uh, we cut from here to Scalise and a few other guys from the mob trying to knock over a bank. On their way in, like a guy's like shoving him back as he's trying to rob the bank because he's like, hey, get in the back of the line. And he's like, what are you crazy? There's a goddamn sticker for Christ's sake. Get back there. Okay. It, it, was, it was a very quick change yeah. moment. Actually, there's a couple of quick change moments in yeah. this robbery. Um, but, uh, one other guy fires a, a gun in the air to like get everyone's attention and to shut everybody up in real, in real life. When the gun gets fired, that's when everyone starts screaming and running. That doesn't yeah. like immediately cause everyone to stop talking in the whole bank. But for some reason in this bank, everyone's like, Oh, a gun. I better listen to what this guy has to say. The banker is kind of in shock at, uh, at being robbed and can't respond to any of the demands Scalise makes. So uh, he basically climbs over the counter and knocks him out by like cracking him across the face with the gun. Right. And uh, he just grabs the bag and all the money that he wants and starts to leave. As they're coming out the door of the bank, they're looking for the getaway car in one place, but it's like parked backwards against the curb in a different <laughs> place. He's like, So everybody piles into it, but uh, it's already like getting flubbed all over the place. Yeah, and uh, at it, uh, it didn't seem like they made off with a lot. No, it was a very small bag. Yeah, um, hopefully it was all thousand dollar bills. <laughs> yeah, but now well, we're I mo- think it was supposed to be. Um, it was the day that people were paying their taxes. 
So they expected there to be a lot of money? I think there was supposed to be a a lot of of money because there was a little sign right as people were coming in that's like, pay taxes here. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, uh, they also kind of explain later that this wasn't an official like mob action like this wasn't cleared through the family that was just kind of like hey here's a thing we could do that would make money and they're Nobody gonna love that asked we did you it to do this yeah <laughs> also it wasn't a traditional bank it was the treasury department right so it it i guess that i mean i think any bank robbery is a federal crime but i guess this would be like extremely federal <laughs> yeah and it's and it's doubly bad because he actually assaulted the guy in the in the act so that it just multiplies the problem of the case. But he didn't hit him that hard. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He could have spit on him. It's still assault. But uh, at the double date now, uh, Maddie, the coworker, is uh, telling Hack, as he calls our, our lead character here, Tom, he tells him that he needs to look his date in the eyes like Clark Gable would in one of, a, one of his movies. And as a result, like, he takes this advice a little too seriously and just keeps staring into her face while they're talking. But this the girl that he ends up on this date with elisa is is not much for conversation she's just kind of like yes the weather here is different and just stops talking and um maddie uh mocks a waitress for taking too long to bring them drinks and uh all of the three people here that we are friends with are pressuring elisa to join them for the spring fling they're like oh we don't want to pressure you but you're not doing anything right and you might as well go to this thing because you obviously don't have any plans but this is like an upcoming dance i guess it's part of the the factory that they were on by the union yeah Yeah. the the local whatever yeah but uh while they're in this bar uh hack goes to check on drinks and he notices on the tv that their bank robbery happened and that uh, Jack Scalise, his his ex's boyfriend, was arrested, and he was the only person that was oh, identified. No, he, was he wasn't arrested. He was yeah. He was ID because he the only one who didn't wear a disguise. Yes, he was the only one that was identified uh, during this robbery. So he goes to confront his ex about it, and she gives him a lot of crap. Like, yeah, I heard about it. What are you gonna do? Like, get out of here. The kids are here, and it's fine. He's not coming around. And, and I, lo- I love, and we'll get into the neighbor later, but yeah. she, here she's, she's already like just kind of flirting with him. Like you got a good boyfriend there. He was like, shut up. <laughs> like, it's just like your, your typical like neighbor banter where you just tell your neighbor to shut up. Yeah. And then uh, after like she, she slams the door in, in uh, his face and he starts to leave and she's like, uh, he turns to the neighbor and he's like, Hey, Mrs. Novak. <laughs> just like, thank you for trying to stand up for me there. Uh, his ex goes to see uh, Jack Scalise in hiding where he's like basically taken a small apartment and he's been cooped up here for a couple days waiting for the mob to help him out because everybody else is fine. Nothing happened to anybody else. They're all back to whatever jobs they had before because they didn't get ID'd. But uh, she's having to bring him groceries here. So she's having to like bring extra food to him and take care of the kids by herself because Mm -hmm. he can't come to the house. So, uh, but she tells him that the family is planning on sending him a ride soon, basically. Someone's going to be by to help you out. And he's like, oh, it's about time. It's been a few days. I've yeah. been here by myself. The uh, the mob talks to him and says that he screwed up by hitting the banker and that his best move at this point would be to marry his girlfriend because if they're married, she can't be forced to testify against him in court. And also it makes him look like a family man. It makes him look more defensible and they'll pay for the attorney and everything hack meets with ruth again and uh he's 
picking up the kids or dropping off the kids with her yeah but either way the kids are involved it's a it's a trade-off and she tells him by the way i should let you know i married that idiot bank robber mm-hmm. after he robbed the bank and uh, he's just like you you married him and like we just the camera like slowly backs away so that we can't hear the rest of this argument well but, we, uh, i hear one i heard one part which is like i thought you'd be happy for me <laughs> <What>? <laughs> wow it's like what that's uh that's impressive no um we move into an interrogation room where um jack has been brought in because the family has agreed to pay for his defense right and they, they said to turn yourself in yeah and so that's we're assuming that's what he did well I, I just like when they're they're in the car telling him what to do to get married and, and to turn yourself in. he's like oh just go uptown you can take care of both the things at once like yeah <laughs> and i also like that he's like what oh no yeah no we're not gonna get married he's like if it was me that's what i'd do yeah okay what well, i'm not gonna do that and he's like you're gonna do that that's what we're telling you you're doing right now (laughs) like it's like i don't think you understand how this conversation is working but we're telling you what you have to do right now (laughs) and if you don't do it then you're on your own so uh jack is being interrogated by marzetta and they're basically they're considering him for i think the first witness relocation case Um, it seems like it's at least a very new program well i I don't know if it's witness relocation for the for this is new i think it's this new mob task force okay that's new like he is he is the test case to see if they can get someone to turn on the mob protect them and then start taking down this organized crime yeah um and i think i've made this point talking to you before during the macgyver podcast but witness relocation has a 100 percent track record they've never lost anybody who didn't like break all the rules to give away <laughs> well, their location to everybody. Certainly aren't going to tell anyone if they did. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> who, who could say for certain? Um, <laughs> that's a good point. But uh, yeah. So uh, Hack sits down with Elisa at the Spring Fling, and uh, I couldn't tell what happened here. She was like pulling out cigarettes and asking for a light, but he thought she was offering him a cigarette, and he's like all embarrassed about it because he thought. He, he misunderstood what was happening he's just awkward i think his yeah. mind is elsewhere and i think it's also they're playing on the fact that you know he's been married for a number of years so he's kind of out of practice dating people anyway but um which i think is why he was like taking tips from his friends so seriously like i guess i have to stare into her face but uh he commits the rookie mistake of inviting her to dance right as the song is ending and then a fight breaks yeah, out immediately as they're like trying to clear the dance floor a fight breaks out between two of the, <laughs> the other factory workers he's like it happens every year you know you wouldn't believe it but those two guys are actually really good friends they uh she decides that she doesn't want to go back into the dance but she's not like leaving and abandoning him she just doesn't want to go back in because she doesn't feel comfortable with those people and the two of them decide they're just going to go for kind of a walk and uh, they talk about his ex and his kids. And she likes that he cares about his kids because in the 1980s, this was like a novel that a father would care at all about right. his children. Thus, um, Kramer versus Kramer. Right. Or uh, was that 70s? I guess that was 70s, huh? Yeah, it's pretty close. And it has a very similar ending, it's I feel like. late 70s. But uh, yeah, so he's sharing pictures of his kids. And she she says something like, like oh, he's very handsome. And then hack is trying to be humble but he accidentally like compliments his ex-wife by saying like oh he he gets it from his mother and it's just like well oops i was <laughs> i was trying to just be like funny humble and i accidentally was like oh my my ex-wife is very attractive <laughs> well uh i know that uh coming from a divorcee parents 
that my dad will often say that like he's like oh you know he gets his looks from his mother or yeah so you know so i i can see i don't know if that's as much of a compliment no as much as it is 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 like a it's not so much supporting her but d- diminishing him yes yeah no and it definitely comes across that way she comments on the the awkward eye contact that he had going on in the first date he's like oh maddie you know maddie mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got this thing you know uh about how women, uh, how they uh, respect uh, directness. Says when you meet Allie, you look her right in the eye. You know, uh, Clark Gable. You never see Clark Gable in any of his movies looking down on the ground. <laughs> the cops talk to Jack about witness relocation, which is at least a relatively new program. So he he doesn't know what it is. He's never heard of it. Yeah. Not that he seems like he's like up to date on all the new things, but he seems very confused when they're trying to explain it to him. But part of the problem or part of the system is that he would get a job he would get relocated he would get a new name i don't know if he gets like extra money on the side i guess it's just a job yeah i guess they just give him a job um but all of it sounds really intriguing to him and he's a little bit frustrated with how he's been treated by the family he doesn't feel like he got the support that he needed as quickly as he needed it and now they're not helping him enough Hack takes the kids to the zoo with Elisa, and uh, Ruthie gives gives him crap when uh, he shows up to pick up the kids. Um, like, I oh, like him skinny now, huh? Because he brought his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like I've been putting up with your boyfriend for a while now. <laughs> like, you don't need to give me crap about this girl. But at the zoo, the kids are like, "Oh, why are the monkeys rubbing?" <laughs> and Hack's like, "Oh, they're they're very itchy." Ruth goes to visit Jack in jail and says, hey, I don't know what you were talking about when you said, like, the family was going to help us out, but they're not helping me with groceries and they're not, you know, they're not doing anything to support me while you're in here. And I'm actually getting more help from the police than I am from the the mob. So uh, this kind of sucks. And he tells her that he's going to take this witness relocation stuff because it's a better offer than than what he's getting from the family. Uh, we cut to him in court where he, he his testimony is putting 12 big mob bosses away. Yeah. And he's just pointing everybody out that we saw at the at the party with Ruth earlier. Hack heads to pick up his kids from their house and they're gone. Um, he knocks on the door. Um, nobody's answering. He leans back and yells up to the neighbor woman who he's friendly with. And she says she doesn't know what happened. And he's like, come on, you gotta, you got to have some information for me. She's like, all right, I think they left at midnight and they were in two cars. And, like, she has all this, like, she was paying attention. She's <laughs> a nosy lady. Well, I like because she still throws in, like, she's like, I, it was like midnight because it woke me up. You know, yeah. like, she's annoyed. Like, that's the neighbor, that's the neighborly way to pay attention to this. <laughs> right. And it's also, like. It woke me up, not I was watching intently the yeah. whole time. Like, she's trying to make it seem like it was an accident that she was party to this information. But um, Hack goes to fill out a missing persons report at the police station. And uh, he keeps asking for more help. And they're like, no, no, let's just fill out the paperwork first. And then, you know, we'll we'll follow, do everything according to the system. But uh, it's, you know, weeks are going by between visits with police or any kind of contact at all. And Elisa is saying, like, you, sh- you should be trying harder to get through to these people. And he's like, I'm, I'm doing everything legal. Um, and she says, well, what about, I-, I looked into it, and Marzetta is the head of this task force. You should try and talk to him about it, see if he can give you any information about where they went. So he finds Marzetta, figures out where he eats his lunch, and then goes to bug him at this restaurant while he's eating. 
Um, and he's just like, you know, I'm on my break. Like, can I just finish the sandwich? He's like, sure you can. But first let me just tell you what my problem is. And then finally, like Marzetta's like, just leaves in the middle of, uh, he's like, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'm going to sit down and we're going to talk about my kids. And then he leaves while he's getting the cup of coffee. He tries to like chase him back to his car. Like, I bet you if I was crossing the street, there'd be five cops here to give me a goddamn jaywalking ticket. Not my job. I'm sorry. What can I tell you? I got nothing to say to you. Elisa spoke with someone at her school because she's a school teacher about the problem and they recommended an attorney who uh takes like special needs cases and he uh would probably see them for free at least to discuss the case initially and uh, heck doesn't seem very interested in going to a lawyer but when he finds out that the talk would be free and that they've already made an appointment he's a little bit more on board so we cut to scalise and ruth at, at their new location, which I think at first they're in Michigan and, uh, and they're all sitting at a table eating and they're like yelling at the kids cause nobody's getting along and everybody's uncomfortable with well, where they are. Well, and the irony is that Jack is now working at a plant. He, yeah. he is now a blue collar schmo that he's always looked down on. Yeah. And he's complaining about the foreman and mm-hmm. like, he's, he's like constantly phoning into the witness relocation people like you got to get me a better job or you got to get this guy fired and it's like no 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 we just got you a job you have to keep the job but uh he tells ruth that she needs to get a job because they can't afford things on just his paycheck and she's like but you told me i can't get a job and he's like that's right you can't get a job don't you (laughs) dare get a job and it's like you just told her to get a job but then uh, we cut to elisa and uh hack and she tells him that she's pregnant and he basically proposes right there. She she expects him to be upset about it. Like she's apologizing as she tells well, don't, him. Don't act like it was all romantic on his part, though. Because it was. Because. It's very uh, romantic. No, she says she's pregnant. He's like, well, I guess we're going to go get married. Yeah. <laughs> it's very akin to the scene in Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah, that's romantic. You just. <laughs> For the 1980s, that's romantic. Before that, it would have just been like, okay, so who do I make you. the checkout to? Like, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been. Like, uh, hey, let's go get married and stay together for the rest of our lives. That's that's comparatively romantic. Right, but I'm just saying. He or goes 67. straight into the, okay, we could get married this weekend. Not, uh, oh, that's great. I'm so happy. Yeah. Or, or, I, you know, but he you gets to me? that stuff, too. He says all of that in the scene. Eventually, uh, I'm, I'm in more in Jesse's camp than I am in your camp. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was wooed by Con here. I, I, <laughs> I get what he's trying to do. Yes, he, he's trying to do the honorable thing. I guess is the way I, I would put it. Is that is like, oh well, we'll get married so you don't, so people don't look down on you for being right. An and, unmarried I mean, mother. And and, I think you could see by her reaction that that she is also in our camp with this one because she's like, you don't have to marry me. It's right. Fine. Yeah. But you can tell that she wants to also like by the end of the scene she's like ecstatic that this was his reaction that he's he's ready to settle down with her and fully prepared to take on this child uh another weird thing about this scene was when she comes to sit with him and he goes that's canada over there did you know that and she goes uh-uh and he's like you're a teacher <laughs> <laughs> like you have to know something about where you live no i mean no, i know she's don't. new to the area but this we're assuming that she's been there a while right and she would know at least that new york and Buffalo is a city that borders Canada. Nope, no idea. That'd be like like here is like going out to the ocean. It's like that's Pacific Ocean. Did you know that? No. Oh, what <laughs> really? They they go to see the lawyer uh, that uh, Elisa's principal had recommended. Was it the principal or just someone else at the school? But 
either way, um, they go to see the the attorney who is played by Danny Aiello, the the late great Danny Aiello, and uh, he says he will take the case, but uh, he doesn't want to see them go broke, so he's going to do it as cheaply as he can. But he's giving them a lot of advice for starters, and if they don't follow this advice, then they can't move forward with the case. But James Conn seems very interested in cooperating with everything the attorney suggests. Um, he, the lawyer, goes and uh, gets in touch with a few reporters because he wants he wants the press to be following this case mm-hmm. because if he's not going to get money from from uh, the the client, he needs to be getting money from somewhere, and he wants this to be a public interest case and for there to at least be PR involved. Well, I think it's not. Yeah, I think it's not just for him. I think it's right. for the case itself. The best thing possible is to have everybody outraged in this man's defense. Right, but it also brings, uh, it, like, his name to the forefront, sure. and people it, he gets notoriety from it. Not that he's like totally out for that, but I think a, a part of it is that he's just trying to get credit and get his name out there. Um, Hack is let go from his job. But he manages, with the help of the attorney, to, to win custody in court, which is pretty easy when uh, the other person that's contesting your custody case doesn't show up. Yeah. Um, it's basically just 100% forfeited in your, in your, uh, on your side. And it's just a symbolic victory. Right. It doesn't really mean anything because as much as he now has full custody of his children, he doesn't have any custody of his children because they're in another state and the government won't give them back to him. So he's got this folded piece of paper that says the kids belong to him and he can do what, whatever he wants. And uh, and he walks away from the attorney with the piece of paper. He's like, oh, great. Now I got a piece of paper. This is wonderful. He's like, hey, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go have lunch with my kids. And he just like waves the piece of paper around. And uh, the government basically uh, catches word of multiple articles about the case that uh, Hack is putting forth. And they basically want to stop the story before... Uh, the public gets really upset about it because yeah, the, they don't want to have to field a bunch of phone calls from the public. The, the feds really want Marzetta to lean on the newspapers to, right. to, to not publish anymore. Yes. In court, uh, Hack basically stands up in the middle of uh, deliberation and and uh, he's objecting to the treatment. He says that he always respected the government and that he was like a good like good American and he did what he was supposed to do all the time. And uh, the judge basically orders him removed from the courthouse. Outside, he's getting interviewed by a couple members of the press, and he doesn't want to talk to them because he's embarrassed about having just been thrown out of the courtroom. But uh, the attorney's like, "No, you need to talk to these people. Like, they're on your side." And <laughs> like, don't don't have outbursts in yes. court. These are the people that you should be having your outbursts to. Right. And uh, so he yells at them for a while, and while he while he's talking to the the members of the press and saying like how would you feel if it was your kids um he notices this car pulling away from the front of the courthouse um the lawyer's car yes i thought that this was going to go somewhere (laughs) and it really doesn't what because like oh he's he's spotting the lawyer's car so he's gonna like follow the lawyer wait it was the lawyer's car that was pulling away yeah oh like the other attorney yeah, the, yeah the, not, not Danny Aiello. Oh, okay. But the 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 opposing attorney. Oh, okay. For the government, and I thought that he was following him because they both go to the same location, but they're not going there for the same reason. Yeah. It's completely coincidence that they yeah. go to the same location. But the new location that they go to is the unemployment office, right? Right. Um, and uh, he is basically refused unemployment because he was standing in the wrong line yeah like he got there super early in the morning and when he gets to the front they're like oh yeah you're supposed to be over there 
and he gets really mad and he's just like leaves empty-handed because he doesn't have time now to get in the right line and there's a lot of like anti-hippie sentiment in this movie <laughs> yeah and, and the fact that the next person in line is like a long-haired hippie and he's like like scowling looking at him because yeah. like this guy gets unemployment but i don't yeah well th- i think this was definitely playing to like the conservative viewer like hey even like a red-blooded american patriot can be screwed over by the system and it's yeah. not all it's not all great out there but uh yeah so he's he doesn't get his unemployment he's walking back to his car and he sees the other attorney's car in the parking lot right and he decides that he's gonna tap it and do a little love tap and then he drives out of the shot and then he just comes back in full speed and crashes into it again uh but again i i thought that this was going to go somewhere else like he was going to follow the lawyer and the lawyer's going to be on the take uh like from somebody else because because the lawyer gets out and he gets when he gets out of his car another guy gets out of the car and hands him a briefcase but then they walk separately i was like is there something going on here that I'm not seeing. Because I didn't realize that it was the other attorney, and I thought this was either the mob or the police tailing him. Mm. But that makes more sense now that you say that it's the attorney, and he was just blowing off steam by yeah. messing up the car. But it's just weird that they would both happen to go to the unemployment office. Yeah. Back wherever Jack and Ruth are living, I think this is still Michigan. Um, Jack is busting into a car that was parked on their street to yell at some kids that are having sex in their car Mm -hmm. and he's trying to tell them that it's a good neighborhood and get out of here and he's got a knife and everything like he's physically threatening them i think this is a show that he's paranoid yeah that somebody's like you know watching him but as soon as he goes back inside ruth tells him like hey you know you don't have to pick on every single person that's parked outside and and uh he goes to beat her and they cut like basically when his fist would have made connection with her punch cut uh, Ruth calls, collect calls Tom's house while his mother is there. Um, his mom answers the phone and she's like, who is this? What? No, I can't understand. Operator, I can't hear what they're saying. Okay, I don't know this person. Okay, bye. And hangs up. Uh, I'm assuming Ruthie is probably crying. Yeah. And and, and like frantic about calling. Yeah. And so that's why she's not making herself clear we don't hear the other end of the conversation right and i i couldn't tell if part of the point is supposed to be that that his mother has like any kind of mental problems no i think she's just a just an older lady and when he starts yelling at her she starts like yeah well i i couldn't i i think it's possible that they might have been hinting that she had some kind of dementia like she wasn't thinking about the fact that i know a ruth and we're desperately looking for a ruth and Mm. a ruth called like, it seems like a weird coincidence that she would be like, I don't know Ruth, whatever that last name was that you said. I know a Ruth, but she just recently changed her name as a part of a government <laughs> program and we're desperately trying to get a hold of her. And, Is uh, it that Ruth? But she does She does successfully manage to come up with the city name yeah, from which I, the I thought at first that she was from. just making it up. <laughs> like, she was like, will he stop yelling if I can think of a single city in Michigan? <laughs> um, but uh, he's, he's like, who was that? What, who did you just hang up on? And she's like, I don't know, Ruth Bocce or something like that? I don't know any Ruth Bocce. And he's like, that Ruth, that's Ruth. We're trying to get a hold of Ruth. And uh, he's chewing her out until uh, Elisa is basically intervening on her behalf like, don't yell at your mom. We're going to figure this out. Where, where where were they? Where did they call from? And she she manages to to choke up Michigan and Ann Arbor before he like basically just bursts out the door like I'm going straight there right now. He's being pursued by a car. 
on the freeway and he keeps trying to lose it and it keeps catching back up with him so finally he just pulls over on the side of the freeway and waits for the guy to do the same thing behind him so they can have a conversation face to face which was again weird because he just did all that work to lose him and then only to wait for him well i think he got to the point where he realized this guy's still behind me so i'm just gonna pull over and figure out who he is but the, this conversation that they have is so infuriating. Like, mm-hmm. I was just like, man, I wish this guy had a gun. And he just shot this guy on the side of the freeway and left. Because <laughs> this guy is so annoying. But um, he, the guy gets out of his car and he's like, hey, you need any help? What's going on? And he's like, yeah, I need help because you're following me. And I don't want you to keep following me. And he's like, hey, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm just, uh, I'm just on the freeway. And it's like yeah but i've tried to lose you multiple times and you keep getting back on the road and following me you've been trailing me for 100 miles now and he's like why don't you uh, like me following you do i stink or something shut up i know what you're doing stop pretending yeah. but then he gives it up anyway and goes hey hacklin it's yeah. like well if you were just gonna do that anyway yeah why even pretend just at right when you walk up just say hey hacklin i'm part of the family and uh, we're trying to find the same guy you are, so let's team up. But instead he's like, oh, it's just a crazy coincidence. Anyway, get back in your car so I can continue following you to wherever the guy is. But it turns out, yeah, that he's not hes not a member of the police like Hacklin thought that's trying to like stop him from getting to uh, his ex's new boyfriend or I guess husband now. It's actually a member of the mob and they want to kill him. So it seems like at this point he decides he's not going to go to Ann Arbor because... He doesn't want to bring the mafia to where his kids are. Correct. He knows that he's being watched. And then Jack is even informed that uh, Thomas and the Hacklin family are being watched. Right. Yeah. He's He, he tells him also, he, Jack is informed that not only was Tom headed up there, but that the family was following him. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's, I think this is where he gets in touch with witness relocation. And it's like, hey, we got a problem. The mob knows that I'm in Michigan and that's when they get relocated again to Albuquerque mm-hmm. because the next time we see them they're they're in Albuquerque. I'm I'm not clear why they would keep their first names. I felt like witness relocation you the whole point is you're supposed to change everything. Yeah. Um, um I mean I mean Homer changed only changed his last name to Thompson. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> are, we, are we basing this off of the Simpsons now? <laughs> I, I guess it's so when people call the name you respond, you react you respond to it. Yeah. but uh, my dookie's talking to you <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah the other weird thing is that when she collect calls the house she uses her fake name if she's actually trying to get a hold of someone yeah there. it's like just use the name that everyone here knows and would recognize when you call unless um, she's worried that the, the line is being tapped but but if, if the you're calling being, calling anyway either way yeah you're gonna be like Oh no! I used the fake name, so they couldn't possibly know it was me. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh no! It's not, it's not Ruthie Hacklin calling. Just hang up, or Ruthie's yeah. police. Just don't listen to the tap. Yeah, Chief Wiggum with the number five five five. Ah, it's got to be. Phony. It's a fake <laughs> number. Fire. Uh, the the cops basically realize that Hacklin's not going to stop until he gets a hold of his kids or the family, and so. Uh, and and Marzetta is kind of having a little bit of a change of heart. Like he he's seeing the passion, yeah, that Hacklin has, and it's, it's funny that they thought that he they could just be like, yeah, forget about your kids, it's fine, don't worry about it. Yeah, well, and I say 1980, but this actually the story is taking place in 67, so that was like a thing. You could just be like, come on, yeah, these kids are You're lost dad. cause, don't worry about you, it. You got start a new, new family, start a new family. But yeah, so and I forget if it if it already happened, but there is a scene where Marzetta sits down with another 
a member of the police force and he says you know i feel sorry for this guy you know he came in and he was basically begging me for help and he's like has it ever occurred to you that the mafia might be using him to get to that that was er that was earlier in the yeah but so uh, that's the first indication that marzetta is slightly on his team but he's still a dick and he's not giving uh hacklin any of his time Um, but now he's offering to send uh letters right if hacklin will write letters he'll send them on and he'll give hacklin any responses right and the responses he gets are clearly not from his family because they're spelling the names wrong yeah he the, his wife son somehow forgets how to spell her own last name hacklin and uh, and all the letters are saying stop trying to contact us yeah it's weird that this guy's putting that much effort into preventing the kids from communicating with their father because he doesn't really care about them either. But uh, when we see him reading all these letters that basically the the new husband has written and sent back, uh, he's sitting on the docks with a full-grown dog now. When when he went to go pick them up the, when they were missing, he had a puppy with him that was supposed mm-hmm. to be a surprise. And now it's like a full-grown dog because he's had the dog for so long and he hasn't seen the kids since then but someone else complains you can't just keep calling it the dog and he's like well the kids are going to name it when they get it and whenever that happens in the meantime his name is the dog but uh tom's attorney books him a flight to washington to meet with a congressperson he seems excited about it and his buddy from the from the factory is like oh you know how many people you know ever talk to a congressman like that's that's incredible this you're making progress um, they go to meet with the congressman, and right before they start talking with him, he gets a phone call that someone important is in the, is in his like waiting room. He's like, "Oh, he's here right now." Oh God, okay. And then he sits down. He's like, "Hey, so heard about your case? I'll do everything I can. See you later." Yep. And it's like we just flew here to talk to you, and that's all the conversation we're gonna have. He's like, "Yeah, cool." And before they even leave the room, he's like calling his secretary, like, "You can send the next person in. That's a very important person I need to talk to." Uh, he. Tom decides that he's going to go to the office that's forwarding his letters and uh, he's going to tear up the office and destroy like the secretary's typewriter and beat everything up until she gives him the address that the letters are being sent to, which yeah. it's, it seems like he gets the address. Yeah, because all of a sudden he's now he's on his way to Albuquerque, Albuquerque. but uh, his new wife tells him that he needs to stop freaking out like this because he's going to end up in jail if he keeps going down this road. And that as much as he shouldn't go straight down the line with all the bureaucracy of like this flawed system, you also can't go and assault people and destroy property. And he gets really mad at her because she's trying to lay down a bunch of rules for him. And he feels like he's been following the rules this whole time and it hasn't gotten him anywhere. So he just tells her to leave him alone and he drives off to Albuquerque. Keep in mind, she's like six to eight months pregnant at this point and doesn't want to be alone and thought that this guy was going to be around to be the father of this kid and so for him to be completely obsessed with this other case right now for her is very emotionally damaging um but he leaves her there and the mob finds jack in albuquerque somehow i don't know if they like intercepted information from well i i think uh so there we we get a a scene of two guys in the restaurant and one of the guys just happens to just noticed him okay yeah so i I think it was it was a coincidence it was just some guys happened to be in this restaurant and they one of them recognizes jack because i'm sure that the the robbery was probably a national news right and And the 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 mob has like ties all over the u.s right uh so they made a call to the guy who was tailing hacklin right 
I guess who's and like, he's like, the hey, enforcer. guess who's in Albuquerque? Yeah. So Tom heads there to find Jack, but so does that uh, that the guy dude. that was following him before. But now it's now uh, Hacklin's the one following, and uh, the cops basically ask that they they pop into the house after tom destroyed that office to get the address and they're like hey we got to talk to tom and they're like well you're too late he left yeah and uh he says how long ago did he leave we got to call and get police in pursuit uh immediately this is an emergency and and they go to use her phone and they're like you don't mind if we use your phone do you and she's like yes i do mind well well yeah the 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 one fed is already using the phone but marzetta again is the one who's trying to be cordial yeah and ask and then she realizes oh I can buy him a little bit of time by telling them not to use my phone. Mm-hmm. So she says, yes, I do mind. And so they have to go down to the, the precinct to use their own phone. And uh, it buys Tom enough time to actually get to Albuquerque uh, before they can notify the local officials. Which seems a little bit weird to me that he, he can, can drive, drive the from way there. Buffalo yeah. to Albuquerque before <laughs> they can make a well, phone call. Well, yeah. he, he takes a flight. <laughs> right but oh, okay. still like there should be local people that they could have right. called to go intercept him yeah i mean it's still it's still like a four or five hour flight yeah but... jack is at work at this bar or restaurant or whatever mm-hmm. and the enforcer guy comes in and he's like hey you know a guy named jack scalise or jackie or and he's like oh yeah i know that guy and then jack like hears his own name and perks up and he's like oh crap i know this guy yeah and he leaves but then we get uh hacklin is across the street from the house where his family is staying and he sees the mob guy sneaking up on the house and he doesn't want guns around his kids obviously and so he picks up a shovel and follows the guy around the house and smacks him in the back of the head through a window into the home Um, (laughs) and jack starts opening fire (laughs) he's just been sitting in the living room with a gun and uh he he just Michael starts, Madsen style, like yeah. Kill Bill, just waiting for someone to come in. <laughs> but this, this body of this unconscious like mafioso comes through the window, and he just fires seven shots across the street into his neighbor's house. <laughs> um, but then uh, Hacklin's trying to get his attention. He's like, "Hey, hey, I'm out here. I'm out here." And he's like, "Who is that?" And he's like, "It's me, Tom." And he's like, well, "Okay, why are you here? What's happening? Why did a man just come through my window?" And he explains everything, and he's like, "Okay, now you got to tell me where my family is." And he's very, like, reluctant to give any information here. And it's like, this guy's going to strangle you to death if you don't. Th- like, yeah. it doesn't matter that you have a gun. He's going to kill you if you don't tell him and where his empty. kids are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says that they're staying at the Sundance Motel, which is, like, three blocks down the road. Because the whole, I think his whole plan was, it's too dangerous here. Someone's about to kill me. I just saw the enforcer at my job. So you guys stay at the motel, and I'm going to stay here with a gun and take care of it myself. Which seems like the nicest this guy is. Yes. The yeah. entire film. It's <laughs> the most considerate family. thing he's done. Yeah. So Tom decides he's going to go down to this motel. And he knocks on the door, but nobody's answering. And he finds he finds out from the front desk that they're in room three, which I feel like is a violation Yeah. already. But, but again, it's the 60s. Yeah. Um, but he goes and he knocks on the door a few times and then kicks it in. But then he doesn't check inside the room. He just kind of looks in the doorway for a second and closes it. And I was like what is in there that he knew that he shouldn't go inside? Like, are they implying that like there's well, a body in there? Like that's what I thought Unless all three first. of them are in the bathroom, you could probably tell from the doorway that they're not in there. I've been in the bathroom with all of our children before. <laughs> <laughs> to, if you've taken a bath, then he might have all three kids in the bathroom. But uh, he leaves and basically finds them eating at a restaurant across the street from this motel. 
and he just sits on a car in the parking lot and watches them eat until the kids notice him outside Mm -hmm. he hugs them and and he has like a tearful conversation with his wife where it seems like wordlessly we're not we don't see an actual conversation happen but she has basically agreed like well you have full legal custody of these kids and they shouldn't be with me because i'm with a jerk who's constantly getting harassed by the mob so and is probably dead by now (laughs) yeah um so because they know where he lives yeah so go ahead and take the kids and so he buckles them into a cab and then right as he's about to leave the a couple agents of uh the doj interrupt him and they're like hey we're from the department of justice and and uh we have to put a stop to all this right now and that's when he raises his bullet bullet thumb up in the air i was like whoa whoa he he is really like i have to say it was like the most manliest fist yeah like he he was just like like it was like yeah (laughs) i was like oh my god he's gonna like sock this guy yeah but he's like nobody takes my kids away from me and like freaks out on on them and they're like okay fine it doesn't matter that's not even why we're here anyway we're here to keep this guy in witness relocation and you have custody of the kids legally so just go it's fine um and so he puts the kids in the cab and drives off and flies home and uh we just get you know uh he's he's arriving home with his his pregnant wife and the two kids and she asks if she can carry the daughter because i I guess she was asleep or and uh it's just a happy family and and he's gonna have a third kid on the way soon and everything's wonderful we get a a titles over the screen saying that the case is still pending and that's what sparked me to go look up the information where i couldn't really find much information as, at as all. far as i could tell about the case it seems like it was just dismissed out of court like yeah. they didn't want to like the court system didn't want to deal with it they didn't want to you know they didn't want to side against the witness relocation program so yeah. they just dismissed it yeah but in in the real case he gets to this restaurant, watches the family eat, and the kids are like 10 years older than they were the last time he saw them. And when he, they come outside, they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm your dad. And they're like, oh, cool, bye. And they just go home with mom to Reno. <laughs> A couple more titles come up after the one that says the case is still pending that say that basically the Scalises are separated. They say that the mother uh, is in Nevada, but that the guy who is actually being relocated is living in a northwestern state which it's like northwestern like there's only two states that i would call northwestern um that would just be oregon and washington well um i would say uh wyoming and montana could be considered northwestern okay like if you're talking like custer like old west kind of stuff yeah but either way it's just like it felt like the movie was literally like hey mob (laughs) he's up in the top corner over there go (laughs) check the top corner and then the next title says like all 12 mobsters that he tattled on are all out of prison or <laughs> it's like so there's a lot of people that are out to kill this guy and he is in one of these four states <laughs> um just fyi the case is still pending it just felt like they were trying to get the guy caught and killed yeah but that's the end of the movie so the these but these on-screen titles are implying that the current year is 1980 correct and you know this isn't like happening in 1967 this is this is going on for the last 13 years right the writer of the of the script uh spencer eastman 
um, had written a movie called Kansas with Matt Dillon and Andrew McCarthy, and also Night Game with Roy Scheider. Do you know Night Game? I don't know Night Game. I feel like we had it at our blockbuster because the cover box is like a baseball on a hook, like Ah. a, a hook hand. The novel was written by Leslie Waller, who I said before also wrote the Dog Day Afternoon book, and the director was the star here, uh, James Caan, um, as Thomas Hacklin Jr. This is his only directing credit, um, but you probably know him as Sonny Corleone or Buddy the Elf's father. Um, That's definitely where I go to. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was also Paul Sheldon in Misery. Uh, he's mm. Tim Lockwood in the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs movies, um, <laughs> which is a great character. Uh, Jill Eikenberry was Elisa Hacklin. Uh, she's in 171 episodes of L.A. Law. Um, she plays Susan Johnson and Arthur, which I think is the love interest in the first film. Well, it's it's not the, the Liza Minnelli character, but it's the, the woman he's supposed to marry. Is Liza Minnelli in the first one? I thought yeah. she was only in the second no, one. No, she's in the first one. Oh, okay. She, she's the woman that he meets that he would rather be with than the rich woman that his family is trying to hook him up with. Oh, okay. Um, and she also plays Hedda Gary in Young Adult, the Diablo Cody, Jason Reitman film. Uh, Robert Vaharo played Jack Scalise. At first, I thought he directed Valley of the Dolls, but he just played a director in it. <laughs> <clears throat> so that confused me. Joe Grafasi was Maddie Stanick. Um, he plays the deputy sheriff in Natural Board Killers. He's a bank guard in Batman Forever. He was in five episodes of L.A. Law. Oh, God, he's not the bank guard in Batman Forever, is he? Oh, no. Maybe. Boiling acid. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, he also plays a director in the movie Naked Gun 33 and a third. Uh, and he's Lou in the Hudsucker Proxy, but I'm not sure oh, who Lou, Lou is. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Ray was Ruthie Hacklin. This was her third and last feature. She mostly did TV movies after this. Um, Kenneth McMillan was Sam Marzetta. He's great. He was Baron Vladimir Harkonnen in Dune. Uh, Michael Schlumberg in Amadeus or Schlumberg. He's Brannigan in Little Miss Marker, and he'll come back again this year for Carney and Borderline. Uh, Danny Aiello was Sal Carvello, the attorney. He, yeah. Hudson Hawk, Do the Right Thing, Moonstruck. Defiance is probably his best work. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Thomas Hill played Bobby Momisa, which is one of the, the mob bosses that gets turned in. Mimosa. Mimosa. <laughs> no, no, sure. Mimosa. Mo, Momisa. He will play the president in The Nude Bomb later this year. Uh, that's the Get Smart movie. He was also Conrad Coriander in the NeverEnding Story films. Yeah. Which, if you don't know who that is, it's the bookstore owner. <laughs> right, yeah. Because there aren't many characters that are named. Yeah. yeah. Chuck Hicks uh, plays Frankie Irish. I think this is the guy who tells him to his face that he hates him at the at the first party. But he plays the brow in Dick Tracy. So he's one of the creepy-looking henchman yeah, yeah. characters. Um, Andy Fenwick played Andy Hacklin, who is the the son uh, of uh, the James Conn character. And he will play Dennis Stadling in Christmas Evil later this year. Um, David Clennon was Richard Fieldston. I don't remember who that character is. That, but... that, that is the prosecuting attorney. Or the okay. Defending, the one whose I guess the car gets attorney. messed up. Yeah. Um, and he plays Palmer in The yeah. Thing. One of two there's, the there's a couple <laughs> of The Thing people here. Um, Peter Maloney was Lee McHugh. Um, he plays George Bennings in The Thing. Yeah, which, which I immediately recognized him only by his voice. Yeah. I was like, can you turn that music down? I was shot today. 
but it's great that it's him and Palmer because Palmer is the one who goes, I've known George Bennings for years. He's my friend. <laughs> like, it's so upsetting. I did know two. him for years. We were in a movie together last year. Um, he also plays Dr. Pill in Requiem for a Dream. Um, David Margulies is Detective Riley. That's the, the cop that is helping James Caan uh, fill out his missing persons paperwork. And he's probably most famous for being the mayor in Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Mm. Um, the mayor of New York. Um, he also plays a doctor in Ace Ventura. And he plays Dr. Levi or Levy in Dress to Kill later this year. Um, Leonardo Semino played Don Angelo Venucci. That's the Don, the head of the Mafia family. Um, he's the Cardinal in the Hudson Hawk yeah. with Danny Aiello. Um, he's also the Baron's Doctor in Dune. So it's a connection to Marzetti. Yeah, he, he's, he is one of those kind of character actors that you just see all over the place. We yeah. were, I think we were watching Waterworld the other day. Yeah. And, and he was in there. In the, he's one of the elders. Yeah. And I was like, hey, <laughs> we just watched him in, in uh, Out of Plain Sight. Um, he's also uh, in Moonstruck with Danny Aiello. And uh, he he's credited as scary German guy in Monster Squad. Yeah, yeah. He is the <laughs> scary German guy. Yeah. Um, Anne Helm plays Reed's secretary. Um, which one is Reed? Reed is the more southern fed, like he's oh, okay. the taller, skinnier one. Okay. She was married to the actor playing uh, Scalise when they shot the film, but they divorced a couple of weeks before it came out, actually. Um, Charles Hallahan played Dixon, the bartender. Um, he's Vance Norris in The Thing. <laughs> so we have another The Thing person. And then obviously Mrs. Novak, the neighbor, the upstairs neighbor who's mm-hmm. always flirting with James Caan is Alice Drummond the librarian from ghostbusters who i love yeah um she's also clara in tu wong fu i always go to uh synecdoche new york oh yeah she, that was one of her later things because she just passed away in what 2014 2015 but yeah she was uh she was one of the the actresses in the universe of mm-hmm. the synecdoche what also uh ace ventura <laughs> mrs finkel <laughs> yeah finkel and, finkel and einhorn finkel and einhorn but uh yeah Richard, up or down? Uh, you know, I'm going to give this one an up. Mm. Uh, I, I I didn't think it was the most fast-paced movie, uh, but it certainly wasn't poorly made. Uh, I was pretty invested in the story. There was some parts that I feel it could be trimmed up or cut, but uh, overall, I was I was pretty satisfied. All right. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with uh, Richard's review here. I think. <clears throat> that we are both also on board with what Siskel and Ebert basically said. Yeah. They were, their complaint was basically that it, it held too true to the story, which it, it really didn't in that. Just not the ending. Basically. Well, in, in that it took 11 years instead of a year yeah. to, to deal with this situation. But I think that it, it, it could have benefited a lot from a couple of twists and turns that weren't true to reality. But that aside, I agree. I, I was pretty invested. I enjoyed the film. I, I give it an up. All right. Um, I enjoyed this film also. I'm going to give it a down um, <laughs> just because I don't think it's it's necessary to see. But it's capably made. I don't think James Conn is a bad director. And uh, the script makes sense and everything like flows pretty organically over the course of it. Probably because they they stuck so close to the, the actual story. But... Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think there's anything here that's like, oh, you got to check this one out. This guy, this stuff happens. But yeah, letterboxed. Jess, where's uh, this going? So I put this one uh, right towards the middle of my list. Um, it's just above uh, Midnight Madness and just below Simon. Okay. 
<laughs> it is also just above Midnight Madness. Uh, but on my other end is Last Married Couple. Okay. I think I'm actually going to put it just below Midnight Madness, but above Simon. Uh, which is the reverse of what the you opposite said, of think. what mine was. Uh, but yeah, it goes right between those two for me, but uh, in the opposite direction. Um, but I think that's about everything for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope that you will join us next time when we will be discussing Little Miss Marker, which IMDb summarizes like so. Sorrowful Jones is a cheap bookie in the 1930s. When a gambler leaves his daughter as a marker for a bet, he gets stuck with her. His life will change a great deal with her arrival and his sudden love for a woman who is also involved in gambling operations. We leave you now with the trailer for Little Miss Marker. He's a small-time bookie. And she's a girl from the other side of the track. But that's what makes horse racing. Walter Matthau, Julie Andrews, Little Miss Marker. She's a legitimate marker. She's only ten bucks worth. You really keeping that little child for ransom? What gave you that dumb idea? Isn't that what a marker is? Ah, just taking care of her till her old man gets back. How come nobody's ever found out about you? I guess they never really looked. Well, you're really very domesticated, you know? The way you are with the child. That was fun. Do it again. Blackie shot him just like that. <laughs> Call a few places, see what you can get to the fur. Tell them it's a wolf. You're not scared of Blackie, are you? She's my girl, Sorrowful. Does she know that? I know that. And now you know that. I think I'm the one you're scared of. You? You're a dame. I told everybody that I was going to kill you. Change your mind. You're entitled. Nobody thinks you're Herbert Hoover. You ought to be scared. I'd fill you full of more holes than Blackie. And all that meanness would pour out. Where'd you get the money? I won it. You won it? Mrs. Crunchy. She taught me how to play cards. Casino, Pinochle, and Pishapasha. You are far more trouble than you are worth. It will take all our efforts to shape you into any semblance of a human being. On the other hand, I happen to be stupidly in love with you. That's what makes horse racing. Walter Matthau, Julie Andrews, and Sarah Stimson as Little Miss Marker. <laughs> <laughs>